familiar press in on him. Perhaps he feels hopelessness, anguished by addiction, by the injustices that multiply exponentially in the world, by the prison regimes that dominate our society, or by any of the many prisons we create for ourselves. His head wet with the midnight dew, John is talking with a man from Galilee who speaks with a voice so sweet that John thinks he hears the shuffling of angels' feet. The man calls John's name and issues a command, John, go do my will. And so John starts preaching. The good news according to Johnny Cash. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Go and tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Sooner or later, God will cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut you down. Almost 2,000 years earlier, another John, a man dressed not in black, but in camel's hair cinched with the leather belt, preached a similar gospel. The good news that the axe is at the root of the tree, that God's justice is coming to cut us down. Crowds of people flock to the wilderness to be insulted by John, (laughs) who warns them that one is coming with a winnowing fork in hand to separate out the wheat from the chaff, with the chaff to be burned in unquenchable fire. And this apocalyptic message of judgment fills the assembled crowd not with terror, but with expectation. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share it with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. 
So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The word of the Lord. So I promise this isn't a fire and brimstone sermon. Well, not really. Although there is fire, this is a homily about rejoicing. The third Sunday of Advent is traditionally a day for celebration, as Samantha shared with the children. Sometimes this third Advent Sunday is referred to as Gaudete Sunday, after the Latin for rejoice. The Catholic Mass for this Sunday begins with Paul's exhortation to the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. To mark this day of rejoicing, our third Advent candle, a festive pink, instead of the more somber purple of the other Advent candles. Our reading from the prophet Zephaniah clearly sounds this message of joyful celebration with the call to rejoice and exult with all your heart. Through Zephaniah, God promises a coming day when enemies will be turned away, God's judgments removed, the shame of the outcast changed to praise, an exiled people gathered back home and restored. Much cause for rejoicing. Rejoicing, however, may not be our initial reaction to our reading from Luke's gospel this morning. It's certainly not mine. More like fear and trembling. Perhaps my initial reaction to John's message reflects my relative comfort, the unreflective privilege I benefit from as a white, heterosexual, cisgender, able-bodied, well-educated, relatively healthy, middle-class citizen of the United States. Do I truly want the apocalyptic change of the fire next time? I may say I want a revolution, but, well, you know, not really. Not if I'm honest with myself. I want change, but in an orderly pace, in a controlled fashion, and in a way that isn't going to cost me too much. Perhaps if I were less comfortable, perhaps if I had less to lose, I would excitedly rejoice and welcome John the Baptist's message of imminent radical change. Perhaps I would join Mary in rejoicing about a day that is coming soon in which the proud are scattered and the rich are sent away empty. As it is, when I hear John the Baptist's warnings to the gathered crowd, I see myself piled up as chaff to be thrown into the unquenchable fire. I see the axe swinging to cut me down leaving me as a dead branch that failed to produce the fruits of repentance. If John the Baptist's proclamation is meant to shatter through my self-satisfied complacency so that I will bear good fruit and so that I will be found righteous when the one whom John proclaims arrives, then the message is only partially successful. I see the axe at the root of the tree. I see the fire coming. But my initial reaction to this message is hopelessness. Last week we heard the prophet Malachi ask, Who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? If I am to stand on the basis of my own righteousness, on the basis of the good fruit that I have borne, then I despair that I will be able to stand when this judgment comes. What cause is there for rejoicing 
that the axe is at the root of the tree. Johnny Cash has helped me feel my way towards an answer. Cash has refrained that sooner or later God will cut you down. It's not a joyful celebration in the damnation and judgment of others. It's not self-righteous finger-wagging at the sinners around him, the self-righteousness of one who is eager to pick up an axe for himself and start swinging away at the logs in other people's eyes. Above all, it is a message directed inward, a prophet's recognition of the sin within himself that God comes to cut down. And at least to my ears, the music of Cash's song has a bit of an upbeat lilt as it delivers its sobering message, a hint of joy that sin is not finally victorious, joy that judgment, joy that the judgment of being cut down is not the final word, joy that repentance and turning around are still possible. The axe may be at the root of the tree. The axe may even swing and cut us down, leaving us as dead branches. Who can stand at the day of God's coming when the axe of judgment swings? To the extent that we seek to stand on our own, to stand thanks to our fevered efforts of self-improvement, to stand buttressed by the illusion that we control our destinies, to stand confident in idolatrous self-sufficiency in our own righteousness, then God's judgment does come to cut us down. But judgment is not the final word, or perhaps better put, our understanding of God's judgment may be too limited. God may have cut down the people of Israel, sending them into exile, but as we have heard from the prophet Jeremiah throughout Advent, God raises up a righteous branch from David's line. In this righteous branch, God's people are restored, a tree growing once again in the land. Who can stand when the messenger of the covenant appears? We can, not in self-righteousness, but thanks to the Lord, who is our righteousness. What will become of us when the fire that John the Baptist foretells arrives? Will we be consumed and obliterated like chaff thrown into the fire? Perhaps. But I cling to the hope that the fire of God's judgment is a different kind of fire, a refiner's fire, one that burns away all that is sinful and impure until, in Malachi's words, we present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. The fire is coming, whether we like it or not, and that is real cause for trepidation. But if the fire of God's judgment is like the refiner's fire that Malachi envisions, then this is cause not just for fear and trembling, but also for rejoicing. Malachi doesn't say, the fire of God's judgment is coming, so you'd better hurry up and make yourselves into acceptable, righteous offerings. Instead, Malachi's message is that the fire of God's transforming judgment is coming, whether we like it or not. This judgment is rightly cause for trembling. It will be painful as it burns away the sin that, as it burns away the sin that clings so closely to us and to which we cling so closely. 
but we also have cause to rejoice in God's justice, for this is a judgment that will restore us into righteous offerings for God. Let us rejoice, then, that sin and death are not the final word. Let us rejoice in all that separates us from God's love being cut down and stripped away. And let us rejoice in God's fiery judgment that comes not to consume, but rather to transform us into the bright, shining, radiant image of Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.